Welcome to this special Conversations Shelter in Place episode of the Orbital Perspective Podcast. Where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. T-minus 17 seconds and counting. 15, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, go for main engine start, main engine start, 2, 1, booster ignition, and liftoff of the space shuttle Discovery, returning to the space station, paving the way for future missions beyond. Hi, happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to another conversation sheltered in place. I uh, hope this uh, this episode finds everybody safe and healthy uh, and uh, and managing during uh, the various crises, crises that we have going on right now. The, the purpose of these conversations is to help, uh, or at least it started, to, to, to help people deal with the COVID-19 crisis, uh, to navigate it and to get out uh, the other side stronger and more unified than ever. Um, but we have a number of crises uh, happening right now. And so uh, the, what this conversation is about is, is, is thriving and navigating crises and um, being able to get through and to, and to um, grow from, from the different um, 
challenges and problems that are facing us as, as a species. And I am really, really excited uh, to welcome my friend Anush Ansari uh, to this week's uh, episode. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Anush Ansari is the CEO of the XPRIZE Foundation, and this is the world's leader in designing and operating incentive competitions to solve humanity's grand, grand challenges. Uh, Anusha, along with her family, sponsored the organization's first competition, the Ansari X Prize, which was a $10 million competition. And that competition ignited a new era for commercial spaceflight. Since then, she has served on X Prize's board of directors. But prior to being named as the CEO of X Prize, Anusha served as the CEO of Protea Systems, a leading Internet of Things technology firm that she co founded in 2006 and she continues to serve as the executive chairwoman. She captured the headlines uh, around the world when she embarked on an 11-day space expedition, accomplishing her childhood dream of becoming the first female uh, private space explorer, the first astronaut of Iranian descent, the first Muslim woman in space, and the fourth private explorer to space. Anusha serves on the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council and has received numerous honors, including the World Economic Forum Young Global Leader, Ellis Island Medal of Honor, and the STEM Leadership Hall of Fame, among many others. She is a UNESCO Goodwill Ambassador uh, and serves on the board of Jabil and Peace First, as well as several other not-for-profit organizations focused on STEM, education, and youth empowerment. And I could go on and on and on and on, uh, but Anusha would get very uh, mad at me because she's a very modest and humble person. But I will, will also say that uh, Anusha, alongside Leela Melvin and Nicole Stott and I uh, started an organization called Constellation. And what Constellation is all about is, is using the example of space exploration to, to make the point that in space, we are one unified crew. It doesn't matter where we come from, who we are, what our background is. We're one unified crew with a unified mission, and we should apply that same, that same concept uh, down here on Spaceship Earth as all the crew members of Spaceship Earth. Um, now, I've, I've talked all about you know, the macro picture of Anusha, but uh, it's, it's more than just you know, big scale stuff too. Anusha has an incredible love of life and love of people. And when she walks in the room, that shines, shines forth. And, and I am really, really honored uh, to be able to, to call Anusha a, a dear friend. And so uh, everyone help me welcome uh, Anusha Ansari. Hi, Anusha. Hi, Ron, how are you? Thank it's, you for having me. This was such a wonderful and, and colorful <laughs> introduction. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was very abbreviated. <laughs> so so th thanks again for, for um, agreeing to come talk about uh, things today. Uh, like I said, you know, we, we uh, started out this project with the idea of helping people navigate COVID-19. And, you know, XPRIZE is an incredible organization. Uh, can, can we start off the, the conversation by talking about what XPRIZE is doing? Well, maybe just an overview of what XPRIZE is in the first place for those folks that don't know what XPRIZE is and then how XPRIZE is, is trying to help us uh, through the COVID-19 crisis. Oh, absolutely. Um, so uh, as you said, I've been involved with XPRIZE for many, many years, first um, as the sponsor of the first prize and then on the board and now as the CEO. But uh, at the core, what we believe is that um, there are no problems in the world that uh, we can't solve if we come together and collaborate. And the, um, the technology advancement and the 
innovation and ingenious um, um, in every one of us around the globe can solve those problems. So we try to tap into that energy and uh, we do that through competition. So we look at what are some of the grandest challenges, biggest problems, most complex problems in the world and uh, try to analyze those and find uh, how we can bring about breakthroughs that would solve those problems. And then we frame a competition around those breakthroughs, identify those areas that we need to sort of push forward and, and solve and put that into the framework of the competition and uh, launch a multi-million dollar competition to attract uh, the best minds in the world to come and solve them. And that's how we go about it. And we've been very successful over the years. We focus on areas of exploration. That's where we started in space. And, and um, uh, the first prize, which was the Ansari X Prize, uh, but we look at exploration of um, oceans, sort of anywhere on Earth, but also exploration of maps of human being, artificial intelligence, consciousness. Uh, but more pressing issues these days are issues of environment that we're very focused on around carbon and carbon extraction, uh, rainforests, um, and uh, also we're looking at areas of equity. So we're looking at water, food, uh, shelter, uh, education, healthcare, access to basically the, the lower levels of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and making sure that everyone has equitable and um, uh, well-deserved access to all those needs across the globe. And we want to basically create a future of abundance for all and, and sort of help uh, build that future with, with all the entrepreneurs and, and scientists and, and people who want to build that future together with us. Yeah, so it's a it's it's a very positive, uh, collaborative uh, effort. Can you talk about some of the success stories that, that you've had? Yes. Um, so because we just had the um, SpaceX launch recently, so I'm going to start with space. Um, so the first prize uh, when it was launched, it was in the um, late 1990s where uh, space was only uh, an area where governments played the role. And, uh, you know, through the belief system that entrepreneurship and collaboration between public-private sectors, we can advance this, we started the competition of a $10 million X Prize to open up uh, access to space. And um, we uh, did that with $10 million, but the $10 million brought in $100 million of investment in the time that no one would even talk about investing in space. And uh, that led to about 26 companies registering to compete. Uh, Mojave Aerospace won the uh, prize in 2004. Um, that 10 year that took to win the prize was spent a lot on actually changing policies that led to basically this group at FAA that now uh, allows for launch um, uh, licenses to be issued sure. to companies like SpaceX. And now uh, we went from no market at all in commercial space uh, to a multi-billion dollar market that uh, I think uh, will be very successful. We have uh, the Google Lunar X Prize call, uh, caused a conversation around lunar economy now. Mm -hmm. uh, we have also launched a lot of competitions in education. We Last year, we announced the winners of our Global um, Learning X Prize, which was a um, 
um, a competition around an open soft uh, open source software that can teach kids without assistance of a teacher to uh, learn on their own to read write and do basic arithmetic and uh, it was something that people told us it can be done we did it in the most remote uh, villages in Tanzania of 5,000 kids that were uh, had no literacy at all, no access to school, uh, and they got education that uh, would have taken them um, two and a half to three years uh, if they had access to school in a matter of only uh, 15 months. Uh, and um, you know, now that we, uh, you know, we are shelter in place and schools are closed the whole issue of online learning has become a bigger issue that everyone's looking at and this is something we did uh you know past few years we've done um uh, prizes around healthcare system and doing telemedicine uh, qualcomm um, tricorder express was one of our successes as well looking at how we can be quickly and efficiently be able to diagnose certain um, you know, diseases through remote testing um, and uh, using AI and machine learning. So a lot of these- That would come in handy right now with coronavirus. Absolutely. One of the teams actually, um, CloudDX is using the technology that won the prize to be able to see if they can detect COVID uh, through cough. So that's uh, one of the teams actually working in this area right now. Yeah. So I, I want to welcome everybody who's joining. Uh, and I want to remind everybody, put your questions in the comments. We'll, we'll see them uh, and we'll, we'll try and get, you know, do the best we can to get to them and address, address them all. Um, but just going back to um, XPRIZE and COVID, uh, what are some of the specific things that XPRIZE is doing around um, trying to battle uh, the, the virus? Uh, we actually, when uh, the pandemic hit the shores of U.S., we started uh, looking at what we can do. Usually, uh, our focus is on longer-term prizes, but uh, we didn't want to just sit still. Um, so we launched uh, the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance because we have an amazing network of scientists and researchers and companies who are looking for solutions. So we invited everyone, and uh, at the core, we put our data collaborative, which is a way for... Uh, scientists and researchers and companies to share data and put that data together and, and allow um, the group to collaborate and find solutions. So uh, Anthem joined us and, and uh, together we launched the uh, alliance and now we have about 90, over 90 companies and, and uh, universities that have joined forces across the world. And uh, we're looking at solutions around, uh, you know, PPEs to test, to vaccines, to just the experience of, uh, you know, um, uh, from a patient's perspective to a healthcare worker's perspective and how things are changing. And uh, looking also for what does it take for us to basically be able to get back out there and start resuming uh, functionality in, in our everyday life uh, because the uh, loss of jobs and loss of uh, you know, economic livelihood for a lot of people is becoming a critical issue long term. So we're trying to find solutions that can get us back on our feet. So uh, Anisha, what, what do you think is going to, what is it going to take to get us back and what do you think the, the new normal will look like once we 
once we get out of this thing? I mean, I know that's a tough question, but from what you've seen and, and, and some of the things that, that are on the horizon, some of the things that are being brought up with XPRIZE and everything else, um, you know, you've been around this, this type of thing quite a bit. And so I'm just curious, you know, a lot of people are wondering, I'm wondering that, you know, what, what is this, how are we going to get out of this and, and what's going to look like once we do? It's a great question, and I don't, and I think you will get a different answer in different parts of the world. And it's what can we afford? It's a matter of balancing risk, and and uh, you know reward or or um, looking at uh, how long can we, uh, you know, put uh, the risk of uh, losing life or or uh, you know being ill uh, against losing livelihood. Um, and uh, it's, it's a tough equation because it's being between a rock and a hard place. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no good side to the equation. Uh, but it is a tough choice that people are having to make around the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, in countries like U.S. and, and developed countries uh, where the leadership can take uh, and the, the government is in a position to help alleviate some of those pain points for people, of course, we can be um, take measures to be safe, to to be sheltered in place, to use protective gear, to uh, do social distancing, to protect ourselves, and those are really important steps in protecting ourselves and others who are uh, at higher risk of contracting the disease. Uh, but there are also countries that um, cannot afford and don't have the resources to to have those protections. So. Um, you know, it's right now we're dealing with the aftermath, and, and uh, while it is good for us to try to deal with these things now, what I hope we do is um, continue this conversation around how can we avoid getting here, because dealing with the situation now is not the right way of dealing with problems, and usually as human beings, we're not good about long-term thinking. We sort of only look at short-term and then we deal with the crisis and then we forget about it and then we wait until the next crisis happens and then we repeat the process. But uh, we learned a lot from the previous pandemics and, and unfortunately we didn't um, use a lot of those uh, learnings here. Um, so I'm hoping that we maybe create a res resiliency playbook, hopefully the um, uh, policymakers, the institutions that uh, are, are sort of the institutions that help um, countries deal with this situation will start looking at technologies and solutions that are being developed now and put these things in place where the next time something like this can start, they can detect it before it becomes a pandemic right. and, right, and right. that. So right, stop it before, yeah. Exactly. That's what uh, I hope will happen in the future. But individually, there is this fear that will change behavior. I think um, there is an acceleration of certain types of technologies that is happening. For example, um, this whole uh, concept of um, you know uh, distant learning or, or online learning um, that is accelerating tremendously. There is a uh, acceptance of certain technologies that has uh, ac accelerated this remote home, uh, work from home or the technologies like Zoom. Um, right. And I think um, these will accelerate in a, also a different way where right now we only have audio and video interaction. 
but soon we will want to have more of our senses incorporated into this remote interaction. Yeah, like Mix and Mooks is suggesting avatars, VR conferences, you know, incre incre increasing the work from home culture too. So, uh, absolutely, we have actually a a competition called the Avatar ANA Avatar X Prize that we launched uh, three years ago, yeah. and it was about you know how can you have uh, sort of the experience as uh, with all of your senses remotely through a robotic system with haptics and AR and VR and AI and all these things incorporated into one uh, combined system. So we never thought about pandemic issues, but you know, it could become handy right now. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a crisis, but it's also an opportunity to develop things that will make life better regardless, um, uh, make us more resilient, make us um, better able to handle what, what comes down. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So, There's a lot of opportunities for innovation and, and uh, doing things differently. Uh, but also it will change the way we live our lives. Um, so when we talk about loss of job, uh, I don't think we will have all those jobs come back again when we get back to normal. And uh, there will, uh, I think some of those jobs are lost forever. I think automation, uh, is now on a more accelerated path, autonomous driving, uh, automation in factories, automation in our supply chain. And those, uh, and we need to think about how can we reskill some of those uh, individuals to be able to look at new jobs. And maybe we should even look at the whole concept of work and workplace and, and all of that in a different light in the future. Yeah. So, um, how about we switch gears for a second? Because I think you have a, a really, 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 really unique perspective on some of the unrest that's going on in our country right now. I mean, I don't, I'm not comparing things, but you know, you did live through the Iranian Revolution. You, you uh, were exposed to a lot of unrest, a lot of civil unrest, and, um, and uh, you know, protests and things like that. Again, I'm not making any comparison uh, other than. Uh, you know, looking at this from your perspective, from the perspective of somebody who's lived through such a harrowing situation and, you know, what lessons, if any, can we apply to what's going on right now and, and how, you know, we've got a lot of issues and challenges in our country. Um, the pandemic is just one of them. Uh, and so, you know, we are, we're, you know, we're living through, I think, a, a huge transition period. I think we're living through the great transition right now. And so, from your perspective, you know, what are what are some things that we can think about? Uh, as you said, uh, I've I've had my own uh, personal experience of living through unrest and and riots and and uh, demonstrations. I was very young and and uh, you know sort of taken by all of that by surprise, and and then also then the war came after that. But uh, I guess uh, some lessons and things that I believe in personally is that uh, violence can never be a solution to anything. I have never seen anything good come out of any war or any act of violence against anyone. Uh, even if you want to fight against something, uh, using violence to fight it never wins. So I applaud the fact that a lot of the demonstrations are peaceful demonstrations. I think it's important to voice uh, your uh, an opinion and your position against uh, uh, an injustice, and and we should continue doing that, and and we should identify uh, uh, if there is uh, elements that uh, tries to uh, portray something as 
a violent uh, act uh, to, to try to stop that because that's when uh, it muddies the water and it, it dilutes from the important message that's trying to be uh, communicated. The other thing that I've learned and that is important is leadership is absolutely critical in this situation. What I've seen um, you know, in, in the past is sometimes um, a very important movement gets started especially with very um, good-hearted young people, enthusiastic, but if there's no leadership with specific action, spearheading that movement, it ends up opening up a passage that is clear and someone can come and basically, for the lack of a better word, steal that sort of uh, opportunity. And uh, we've seen that happen in many of the movements that has happened in the past in history in Middle East, for example. Um, and uh, so it's important for the people who are actually spearheading a movement, who are coming out with a message to have specific asks, to have a specific plan, to, to be able to say, here's what we want to see happen. And then, um, you know, keep at it because it doesn't end with just demonstrations. It's demonstrations and then follow, uh, with, follow up with the organizations behind it to make sure that whatever action was promised through those demonstrations actually happened in policy. Right. And, in, and voting is another thing. This country is great because it's one of the few countries that truly has a re-election and making sure that we preserve this free election that we preserve the right to uh, the election and we exercise that right more importantly mm -hmm. uh, not voting is not uh, uh, you know uh, voicing um, dismay with the candidate actually you have to vote you have to make your voice known and and I think this election more than any other election it's important that to actually uh, be out there and, and vote and, and make your voice known about how do you see the future of this country and where you want it to go. Yeah, you know, I, there's an analogy that I use all the time. You, you might have heard me use it about the, the asteroid coming out the Earth, you know, because, you know, I believe everybody or the vast majority of people at least desire to leave this place a little bit better than they found it. They, they want to make the world a better place, right? And so, I often ask myself, why why do people who want to make the world a better place not do more? And I think one of the reasons is, is people don't think they can make a difference. They just don't understand how incredibly powerful they are. And so to illustrate that, I usually talk about an asteroid, you know, a killer asteroid coming to Earth that if it hits the Earth, it'll, it'll kill every living thing on the planet. And if we knew about that asteroid far enough out, we could send a small spacecraft and with the, with the force of a feather, just give it a little nudge. And that little nudge over the course of its travel to the Earth could result in thousands of miles of missed distance, saving every living thing on the planet. But when you talk about voting, <laughs> it's the same analogy because a, a lot of people don't vote because they say, what does one vote matter? What is it? It's not going to make a big difference. But if you think about it in the terms of the asteroid coming to the Earth, where if, if you have two candidates and you have nudges on both sides of the asteroid, one, one steering one way and one steering the other way, you know, it, it, you see that it, it does make a difference. It does. Everybody's making a difference because if, if yours is not there, then, then it's going to be counteracted by a nudge in the opposite direction. So, oh, um, absolutely. And, and we even, I mean, I've seen uh, in the past couple of elections, a lot of uh, 
uh, at least in the past elections, especially, there were few states that, you know, it was like a few handful of votes actually swung um, a few uh, small uh, areas uh, votes. So it is important. Every single vote counts. And, and I think it's just, it's a right that a lot of people lost their lives to, you know, gain that exactly. right. So exactly. exercising it is important to, to make sure that it's not taken away. So we, we're not only um, incredibly powerful as individuals, we're, we're exponentially power, you know, more powerful when we join together in, in, in mass and, and collaborate together and work together towards common causes. And again, I, I, I'll, I'll state it again, you know, I think everybody, uh, or at least the vast majority of people want to make the world a better place. And it's just what you're seeing is differences of opinions on how to do that, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think. I mean, but, so we, we've got people joining in from all over the world. Uh, and again, I'm going to encourage everybody, ask your questions. Uh, we'd love to get you as part of this conversation. This isn't a, a one-way uh, interview show. It's not even an, an interview. It's a conversation between two friends and hopefully more friends that are that are that are tuning in. So, um, just we'll, and we'll, um, we've got a lot to talk about and a little bit of time. So, so, um, but I, I, I do want to before we leave this topic because it's 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 so important. You know, one of the things that you know, I've been just I've been just trying really hard to to get to the root problem of why we have, you know, all the why, why there's so many problems. Why is there so much unrest? Why is there, why is there so even with you know before um, all the civil unrest, you know, just with the pandemic itself, why was there so much differences of opinion on what we should do and, and you know what was necessary and et cetera. And I think one of the one of the things, and it's it's going to be really hard to explain this, but I think. Part of part of the seeds to this awareness came from being in space. And I don't know, you know, you've been in space as well, Anusha. I don't know if if you had this, but what seemed to to become less important, or in some cases even disappear, was this uh, illusion of separation. You know, when you zoom out to the perspective that you have in space, you know, all of those perceived differences blur into not only insignificance, but they blur into nothing. You know, they they disappear. And we all think that we're these individuals walking around with names, uh, which is true, we are, but we're also deeply, deeply interdependent, interconnected on a level that we don't normally see. And it's not, we, yes, we are distinct and individual, but we, are, we have this underlying unity that, you know, at some point during the evolution of humanity, we developed these things called egos. <laughs> and the ego is what masks this truth, this underlying truth from us. It's what, uh, it's, you know, if we acknowledge this underlying, it, it degrades uh, our egos and our egos uh, have a hard time dealing with that. And so maybe we could, you know, dig a little deeper on that for a second. And because I, I, know, I know you have some really interesting thoughts on this. And, and I mean, we're... Can you see a path forward for us to unify uh, more as a species? Um, I, I hope so, and I think so. I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, we had the um, very unique and um, wonderful experience of being able to have that perspective. And I think uh, we are all individuals. And, uh, you know, the, the connecting factor for us becomes the, the Earth that becomes our home, the connecting part, the thing that we all share, the common factor. And, and when that becomes the only unifying factor for us, 
and nothing else matters. And uh, conflicts and, and all these issues arises when we try to box ourselves into all these different categories. Every time we draw a line and we put someone on one side and ourselves on the other side, there are conflicts that uh, are bound to happen. So uh, it's important to try to avoid as much as possible drawing lines. Um, I, uh, I say this and sometimes people are surprised. Uh, growing up as a young kid in Iran, uh, I was fortunate I had a family who uh, was really busy and they never spent too much time trying to sort of tell me that I'm a girl, that I should do this or not do that. So whenever I did this, I never was thinking that I'm a girl. Should I be doing this? Should I be studying this? Should I be interested in this or that? And and I never, and that became part of my personality. So when I uh, make a decision, when I'm acting on something, when I decide on, on, on a path, I have never put a gender um, lens or, or um, a religious lens or anything uh, of sort on my decision because I just see myself as a human being. When I talk to people, when I interact with people, I do the same. I never look that look at them and think about okay, this person is you know American or Iranian. Are they Christian or Muslim? Are they white or black? Are they you know? So I do. I just look at them as human beings, and that's I think a perspective we gain when we're in space. And if people can just see each other for what, who they are, we are all human beings and treat ourselves with the dignity that each human being deserves, um, then I think we will have completely different way of dealing with each other. Yeah, I agree. And I'll pop up uh, something uh, here. I guess you won't be able to read the whole thing maybe. Um, but basically, you know, we need to educate ourselves about each other is uh, and you guys can, can read that in the comments from, from Steve. Thanks, Steve, for saying that. But the bottom line is we need to, in order to educate ourselves about other cultures and, and religions and, and ethnicities, we have to be able, willing to listen, <laughs> which, is a, which uh, goes back to the, the evolutionary development of the ego. <laughs> so we have to uh, undo that a little bit to, in order to, to, um, to listen sometimes. I, I do want to pop up... Uh, Another comment from Makes and, and Mooks. Um, Elon mentioned we should form a space cult. What are your opinions? Um, I, I guess it depends on what you mean by a space cult. <laughs> so, I mean, there's anything that draws a line. So if the cult means that there is a line yes, of people who exactly. like space and go on this yes. side and people who don't yes. like it, yes. um, I, I think everyone belongs to a Space cult and everyone belongs to an Earth exactly. cult and and, right. and we all should work together on that. Right, we should I, form a space cult. It's called uh, the cult of Earthlings. Cult of Earthlings. <laughs> yeah. It was it was interesting, Ron. Uh, the day that the launch was happening, there were also a lot of riots happening. If you remember, on, on yes, Saturday, exactly. and 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 I was you know at the moment we were all looking up. For, you know, even though I couldn't see the launch for whatever reason, I was looking up and and I know this from experience that every time someone just looks up, even when you're on Earth, when you look up, it almost has the same factor because, you know, space, even when you're looking up from Earth, um, connects us because uh, the star systems, at least on the northern hemisphere and southern, we see the same stars. So when you look up, 
we're all seeing the same thing. We're connected. Right. We don't see the borders when we're looking up. Same thing from uh, when we're looking down from space, we see us as one. So right. why is it that when we're looking up, we see ourselves connected and as one, but when we look down and we look at each other, we sort of forget about that connectedness. Yeah. We just yeah. need to keep that at heart and in mind when, when we deal with each other on an everyday basis and accept each other. I mean, we don't even need to understand every culture and every point of view. We just need to accept that we have, every person has the right to their own opinion as long as we don't harm each other and we don't exactly. you know, create problems for each other. You know, we can believe whatever we want. I can believe in, you know, aliens and, and, and I do. And I can hear the tweets now. So. <laughs> Anusha said she believes in aliens. <laughs> so let me let me uh, let me uh, share this from Liam. Um, an article on The Verge uh, was posted a few days ago with the headline, a rocket launch can't unite us until the space world acknowledges our divisions. It speaks to a sentiment I've heard a lot in the past week. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't think a space launch is going to solve our problems. But there, so, so motivation to change, I think, is motivated primarily by two factors, fear on one hand or on wonder on the other hand. And going back to the asteroid analogy, you know, a launch into space is a nudge from the awe and wonder side of the equation, not the fear side of the equation. So no, it's not going to solve everything, but it's going to help. It's a unifying event that people can rally around because it's it's a, an event that is a, from a foundation of awe and wonder uh, versus versus a foundation of fear. And so the more, more things that we can rally around and unify around that are based on awe and wonder and our shared awe and wonder and the shared beauty, the appreciation for the for the beauty of our world and for our accomplishments as a, as a species, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to serve to bring us together. And that's going to open up avenues for dialogue uh, and cooperation and collaboration versus what the other side. So going back to that, that analogy of, of the nudges on either side of the asteroid, this is a good, this, that was a good nudge of, of the asteroid, not a, not a bad nudge. And so we just need more good nudges. I don't, I don't know what you think about that addition. I agree with that. And also the other way I look at it, and this is something that in uh, my personal experience of just looking at the space program in general and, and International Space Station and, and my, my time on the space station um, is that, you know, uh, space station has been a very unique experience where for whatever reason every country even countries that are you know sort of at conflict with each other they can come together and they collaborate and when the the astronauts are up on the space station for whatever reason we can put all differences aside and we're all there and we know that we have to work together because we're in this uh, unique environment that our uh, survival depends on our collaboration and, and working closely together and putting our differences aside. So if we can do that up there, why can't we do that here? Because it's the same thing here. This whole uh, planet is a closed ecosystem that we uh, have to work together to be able to live uh, peacefully. and. Once we actually realize that and understand that, I think the fact that we need to put our differences aside becomes like a matter of fact. But yeah. our problem is that we we see it in that micro system, but we can't right. look at it in the macro uh, concept of the world. 
you know, it's interesting when, when, when children are in, in the home, you know, normally do we defined, we define home as, as, you know, places that we live and we identify our, our tribe, if you will, as our brothers and sisters and, and, you know, our mom and dad. Right. But as we become adults, that rapidly expands beyond our home, right? Our house, I should say our house and rapidly our household. And, you know, I, I think right now humanity is kind of in the, in the awkward teenage years and, <laughs> and we're still trying to define, you know, our tribe, our family as those that we share a home with. And in the broader context, that usually is, you know, our nation, our religion, our political party or whatever it is. But it's I think it's it's long past time that we need to cross the bridge into adulthood and realize that our home extends to the entire planet. And until we take on a planetary mindset and build a planetary civilization, uh, we are going to do nothing more than slap band-aids on the problems that that we have, including including virus <laughs> mitigation and and civil rights and and everything else. It's just, we're just slapping band-aids on it until we realize the truth. And and you know, one of the things that we've talked about in previous conversations of uh, on conversations sheltered in place is that for the first time, probably in human history, the slogan or the the word you know, we're all in this together is not a cliche. We are literally all in this together in, in COVID-19. There's not a single person on the planet that's not affected in one way or another by this virus. And so that should have been uh, a wake-up call and a call to action to take on a more unified existence, a more, you know, to unify our species around reality. And, you know, I hesitate... <laughs> I hesitate to quote from Martin Luther King right now because I know that um, there's a lot of misquotes going on and things taking out of context, but there is just the most poignant uh, quote that, that, that Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King gave back in 1967 in the Christmas Sermon of Peace, which was a year before Apollo 8. And so Apollo 8 gave us this view of the earth, the earth rise, which which really showed for the first time the true reality of our world. But Dr. King knew that without ever going to space. And when he talked about we're not going to have peace until we recognize the basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality, what affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are all deeply, deeply interconnected, interdependent until, until we brace that basic fact. We're, we're again, we're not going to be doing anything but slapping band-aids on, on things. So, so. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, uh, you know, the pandemic has shown us this. I think, um, you know, when you look at uh, Dr. King's teachings and, and what he did, and and um, not just during the, uh, the Civil War in the U.S., but he, during the same time, he voiced his dismay about, you know, the same type of uh, injustice uh, across the globe in Vietnam. Around the world, so, yes. so it wasn't that he was only concerned yep. about discrimination here in his home world. Exactly. He was against discrimination anywhere, right. against anyone. And, right. and that's what is, to me, uh, a very unique in his teaching and the way he approached injustice. And, and that's why I, I'm, you know, uh, when I look at what's happening and and, and violence, which is another, uh, you know, unique human, you know, emotions that uh, causes a lot of 
unrest, war, and, and problems that we face here on Earth, uh, I have never seen uh, violence lead to anything good. You look at Middle East, where I come from, um, this type of violence and hatred has been just going on for centuries. And unless someone just you know, tries to stop this and, and put an end to it, um, you know, it will it will just continue on this endless loop. Well, I, you know, one of the stages of of grief is anger, right? And if you and and that you have to go through the stages of grief to heal from grief, right? And so one of the stages is anger, and I think a lot of the violence that we see is because people are in the stage of anger. And if you respond to anger with anger, that doesn't that doesn't get you out to the other more productive stages of grief. It just keeps you in this endless cycle of anger. Uh, so, yeah. Just like, um, I, I love the quote from Gandhi, an eye for an eye will leave the whole world blind. Exactly. That, yeah. That's exactly what I've seen happen in Middle East. Yeah. And no matter yeah. where you try to do that, you know, it will never, never lead to anything good. No good outcome can come from it. Right, right. Um, let's see. Should we? There, there is a, a note here from Joseph. Um, if if you had to board to fly one of the new commercial spacecrafts were offered to you both, would you go back to space? I think that's a very. There's a lot of hard questions. That's a really easy question. Yeah, like, <laughs> of course. I would go right, right, right. now. <laughs> Yes, I, uh, I don't, I, I'm sure you miss it. I miss, I miss space uh, uh, immensely. Um, if I had to shelter in place, the ISS would be a good place to shelter in place, I think. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Pandemic or not, I would do shelter in place in ISS. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how can people find out more about the XPRIZE Foundation? Uh, you can definitely go to our website, xprize.org, O-R-G, and um, sign up for our newsletter and, and uh, or sign up uh, on our uh, social media and, and you will um, get updates. We just launched a new podcast, um, not going back to normal uh, and talking about uh, some of our activities uh, related to how we see the a new normal, how we see the future changing and how we have this unique opportunity right now to actually not just let things happen randomly, but since we are changing, why don't we take an active role in shaping it in the way we want to see the future changed? Um, so uh, we would love to have ideas. We're asking the world to give us their ideas and, and how we can shape that. We have some exciting competitions we're launching related to solutions with uh, rapid testing. If you're researcher, scientist, um, uh, entrepreneur, innovator in uh, uh, you know new designs of keeping us safe while we're out there, uh, how can we get back in, in places where there is a crowd but we can still be safe um, together? Um, so we're looking for a lot of ideas. So um, we really um, look forward to incorporating a lot of these innovations into getting us back out there and, and working together. But we have three or four new competitions that are coming up. So keep an eye open for those competitions and participate. Uh, we're always looking for judges and advisors. Join us uh, you know, as, as, uh, as in any capacity as you like. So we love yeah. that. And what, I, what I love about XPRIZE is XPRIZE really balances the the tension between competition and collaboration right and 
competition is great uh, if it's if it's if it's productive, constructive competition, uh, which leads to you know new products, better services, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're seeing in the world is destruct a lot is destructive competition where people are not playing by the rules. They're, they're cheating, lying, stealing and stack, you know, rigging the systems and stacking the cards and all that stuff, which uh, does not help the overall, you know, <laughs> body of society. Um, it, it hurts it. And so I, I think XPRIZE uh, really does a good job of, of merging collaboration and competition together. Uh, and, and, you know, competition is a, is a great motivator, uh, especially if there's a big prize, <laughs> but it also, it also fosters uh, collaboration. Yeah, I think the, the uniting factor is that at the core of the competition, it's not just the money, it's a mission. So yeah. uh, all the teams who are competing at the end, they really care about the mission, which, for example, is to be able to take carbon uh, out of the atmosphere. It's about you know, be able to teach kids, uh, you know, how to read or write. So it's the, 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 the success of one team is the success of all the teams. And uh, we also behind the scene connect teams together with a lot of times we actually, if we, ha we see a one team is strong on one side and another team strong on the other side, we introduce them together. It's like maybe if you guys merge together, you have a better chance of winning, for example. So we, uh, we look at it as a co-opetition uh, and, yeah, and right. uh, mm -hmm. believe that it's important. And, and what we've seen is the teams competing also see it in the same light that the mission, accomplishing the mission, the exactly. task of the competition is more important than just one team winning. Yeah, exactly. I think you made an incredibly important point. And that's why the space program works is because when when we're in space, we're one crew, right? We're not the the Russian crew or the Japanese crew or you know whatever crew, we're just the crew. And the overarching mission of the crew is to achieve their mission objectives. And so all of those things, you know, all of those perceived differences that we have fall to the wayside when it comes to accomplishing the mission. And so that mission mindset needs to be brought down to the Earth's surface and the XPRIZE Foundation is, is doing just that. And, and so I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, great. Hey, just uh, I want to pop this up real quick. Uh, so Makes and, and Mooks is, is saying that we humans are uh, parasites on the, uh, on the superorganism, I guess, uh, known, as, known as humanity or, or on Earth. And um, I, I think what is correct about that statement is that that each individual human is but a cell in the overarching superorganism known as humanity. And we as individuals have a choice to become a cancerous parasitic cell, or we could become part, you know, a white blood cell in the immune response of our planet leading to, to a healing of our planet. And, uh, and I think that's each and every one of our responsibility to make that choice. Uh, and make it on a moment-to-moment, -moment, day day-to-day -day basis of whether which direction they want to nudge the asteroid, <laughs> and uh, and so, so what do you what do you think about that? Oh, well, absolutely. I I a lot of time when we talk about saving the planet, and and you and I have talked about this. It's not about saving the planet. The planet doesn't need saving. Yeah, yeah. Gonna be, it's going to be fun. Save ourselves, so we can be a uh, you know a bad uh, bacteria or virus, and and. The planet will make sure that the, the antibodies of the planet will attack us and get rid of us, 
or we can be a good bacteria and, and, and it will protect us and help us grow and, and thrive. So it's how we uh, live in, uh, you know, in, in this environment and in harmony with our environment that will determine our future. And um, it's up to us. Uh, exactly. Thanks. And that was a great, a great question. Great point. Um, so we, we're getting kind of close to, to the end of the hour. So I, I wanted to, in the, in the time remaining, just is there any words of advice or any strategy that you can offer folks for, you know, this period of isolation, this period of crisis, this, this period of uncertainty of navigating, you know, um, what's going on and, and equally important, if not more importantly, how we can use this period as a time for growth and improvement and to come out the other side better than when we went in. How, how can we make 2020 the, the greatest year in history, not the year that it's setting out to, it started out to be looking like it's, it, might, it could be. Um, it's a great question because, um, you know, 2020 happens to be a very, I think, pivotal year in history of humanity. A lot of things happened, a lot of things are happening and changing. And we can, as I said, you know, we can sit here and just watch it change or we can decide to be an active member of shaping the way it changes. So what I would say, depending on what you're doing or what your capabilities are or what you, how much you want to be involved in it, I would sit back and, and uh, sort of take uh, account of where we are, each one of us in our lives and what are the networks and resources and people or our jobs or our companies that we're involved with and how individually we can help shape those things in the future after the pandemics and the direction it will go, whether it's uh, looking at how we, our companies and ourselves can function in the new world, uh, how we can be innovative in, in the way we function and what new tools and, and capabilities we can offer the world that would help the world in this new reality that we live. Uh, or taking even a long term, longer term perspective of um, the problems that uh, we've been sort of exposed to. Uh, I think this pandemic sort of gave us a glimpse into the potential future and now we have an opportunity to avoid some of those uh, things. So this pandemic right. can become something that happens every six months if we don't do the right things. Right. Um, so this is not like it happened and we got rid of it and it's gone. This type of pandemics, if we don't do the right things, can happen much more often. So let's learn from it and let's make sure that we don't forget about it once we have the vaccine, that we actually who do put things together and you can become a voice, an active member of making sure that those learnings are not forgotten and, and incorporate those in, in whatever you're involved with. And, and then personally in your own, you know, in, uh, in your own life, it may be a time that if you happen to be impacted by, um, you know, the loss of job, it may be an opportunity for learning and growth. and, and you can always, I'm, I, I always look at silver lining and, and, uh, and try to find the positive. So if you have been impacted negatively, also look at it as how can I change this into a positive and, and find ways to um, learn some new skills, learn something new, in, uh, get involved with some, some good uh, movement, something that will 
give you some positive energy that will open up your mind to a new group of people, new networks, new opportunities, and, and perhaps you will find something that will uh, open a new door for you and, and find uh, a new uh, way of using your talent. So I think each individual can find uh, a new path out of this that will help you personally or help the world you live in. I mean, we're, we're, we're paying a horrible, terrible, heartbreaking price uh, for this virus. I mean, you know, we're just in the U.S. alone or over 100,000 dead um, from from this. And it would be, you know, that's that's horrible. But but it's it would be even more horrible if that price that we're paying is not for some benefit in the future. Um, oh, and so we have an opportunity to do that. And I think, you know. And you, t you talked about this, you know, this mission mindset of, of you know, the overarching mission that if you have an overarching mission that gives you purpose. And if you have purpose in your life that motivates you, it, and it actually serves to boost your immune system, <laughs> making you less susceptible to contracting the virus or, or better able to battle it if you have it. And so we, we all need to find that purpose, but we need to find that purpose and we need to act on that purpose from a foundation of awe and wonder and not from a foundation of fear. Because there's a lot of people that are searching for that purpose. They're searching for that mission. They're searching for that, but they're doing it out of a foundation of fear. And that's what leads to destruction. That that might work in the short term, but it's not going to work in the long term. The only way to have long-term lasting change is to do it for the right reasons, to do it for uh, out of love and out of out of compassion and out of empathy and out of out of a desire to leave this place a little bit better than I found. And I know, Anisha, you know that oh so well. And I and uh, and and <laughs> I, I thank you so much for for sharing that that wisdom and and uh, and everything that you're doing with XPRIZE. Uh, you guys are changing the world, uh, and you're changing it in a profoundly positive way. And uh, and we all thank you for that. Thank you. And we, we don't do it by ourselves. We rely on all uh, the people who are watching us right now and all the ones who are not watching, but they have great ideas and they're willing to, uh, you know, bet a lot on those ideas and, and try to attack the problem. So thank you for having me. It was great to chat with you. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks to everybody with for the great comments. Um, we'll try and get to them uh, after the fact and go back and, and we'll, we'll look the, at, at them and try and answer them. And uh, th thanks for tuning in and uh, everybody stay safe out there. Uh, and uh, and let's uh, let's work together to get over all these problems and challenges that we have, because the only way we're going to get th through them is to get through them together. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Everybody, you too, Anisha, and everybody else. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space.